This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Welcome everybody! to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are constantly double-checking to make sure they didn't mistakenly draft Alex Laferriere. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski. We've got a really fun show for you today. With me are two people on the line, but of course, number one is my co-host, partner in crime, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Hello, mystery guest who is yet to be named. It is so nice to be here uh, with all of you to uh, to get on the horn, as Elon said, on the line is reminding me of these old sort of uh, how you talk about being on the phone with one another. So talk prospects. Elon, you had a fantastic episode with Will Scout, aka Scouching, uh, that I just devoured. So much good info in there. And we're going to follow up on that. And this time I'm excited because I get to be part of the prospects talk. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I had a blast talking to Scouching. He dropped a lot of good knowledge. And it was a lot of knowledge about like the actual real value of players. You know, I tried to squeeze as much fantasy as I could out of him. But I thought this week, let's follow it up. And let's talk about some more prospects. But this time, I've got a fantasy prospects expert. And some of you know him if you're part of our patron community or if you listen to the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast. He's also a huge San Jose Sharks fan and contributor to the uh, hockey writer for the Sharks, Kings, and and stars it's victor nuno welcome to the show victor hey guys awesome to be here thanks so much yeah really happy to have you here and the reason why you are here specifically aside from being a prospects expert is you and i have been participating you convinced me i said on a patron cast one time a while back i don't think i'm ever going to join a dynasty league i gave all my reasons why i feel like dynasty leagues just aren't for me and then you were just kind of like come on. I was like, all right. And so you started a brand new dynasty league just this past summer during the NHL pause, like before the playoffs started. And it's like a, this crazy league with, you know, salary caps and all the categories, including like face-offs and takeaways, which I've never used. And, and the key of it was there were like two drafts. There was a pro draft where you could draft any player as long as they've played at least 82 games and whatever it was for goalies. And then a separate draft that we just started recently only for prospects, players who have played 82 games or less. And so it's been a blast doing this draft. And I was thinking, like, if we're going to talk about prospects, why don't we do it? And at the same time, judge the people who have been in this draft with us and just kind of go through the results. And we talk about the players one by one. I would love to also get Brian's take on how he likes my picks. So it all comes together beautifully. 
It sure does. This is going to be amazing. Like we have draft content, which is what we're all craving right now. And uh, it's this unique angle that I don't think we've really broken down like such a deep keeper prospects draft on the show before. We've always covered the players, but we've never really gotten to comment on the order and, you know, measuring the the 19-year-olds versus the 20-year-olds versus the 21-year-olds versus the 18-year-olds and exactly the order in how you go versus uh, guys who are established and already have a year or two under their belt and guys who have not even played a game yet because they were just drafted, like Alex Laferriere, <laughs> who went first overall to the Rangers, as we all know. So I can't wait to, to sink our teeth into this. Uh, of course, Brian is joking. But yeah, there what? there is another guy. This this year's uh, Sebastian Ajo, but I guess a little bit easier than that. Uh, okay, so we've got a lot to get into. Before we get into it, let's of course mention, first of all, that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website out there. Uh, it's been free agent frenzy time since the last time we talked about it. And, you know, there's still been lots of news all the time. And Dauber Hockey's just been there covering it all. Amazing articles. Plus, I use the tools there all the time to prep the show over at Frozen Tools. So definitely check it out, DauberHockey.com. Okay, so before we get into this draft, Victor, you were talking to me about how we should probably just set some, not ground rules, but like some sort of general concepts around these dynasty drafts. Because obviously, one person's strategy doesn't necessarily have to match another person's strategy. It's not as easy to just say, oh, you should have picked this guy, you should have picked this guy instead. You were saying you wanted to just explain, like, what's the reasoning behind different strategies? So why don't you just go and give these different strategies? Yeah, I think when you're drafting a new dynasty, you have to sort of decide what your plan is whether you're going to try and win right now the first season or maybe kick it down the uh, road a little bit and try to win in a a few seasons or sort of the hybrid model where you sort of have some really good players for now, but also some really good prospects. And those are really the main three options. And that's going to really determine like who you pick and how you sort of prioritize. Um, And we did something interesting in this league too, which made for some absolute chaos, which was super fun, which was we allowed trick uh, pick trading across pros and prospects. So you could trade a bunch of prospect picks for pros or vice versa. And it really allowed for people to maximize that strategy too. You could just, you know, vacate a bunch of your prospect picks to get, you know, earlier around pro picks or vice versa. And so that really, um, and, and what's fun about that too, is that, you know, in, in redraft leagues, it's like everyone's going for the best player, right? There's pretty much like a, you know who the best players are. But when you're doing a dynasty league, it can definitely matter whether you want the best guy in three or four years or you want the best guy now. And so it allows for a lot of different strategies and, and for, um, you know, people to have good drafts, quote unquote, just with different strategies. Elon, do you want to share now that you are a longtime member of Team Win Now? Like your strategy has always been, and it's it's I think it's very clever. Your line on whether to plan for the future, uh, like a future dynasty, or to win now is basically I don't know how long this league is going to last. A lot of people get into these dynasty leagues and they collapse within two years. So I want to win those two years. Yeah, I mean, for sure, that's always been my mindset. Maybe now that I actually will participate in one, who knows, maybe my mind will change. But yeah, and by the way, I have a co-manager. It's Mathieu, who's here in the chat. So hey, Mathieu. So it's he and I discussing our picks together. And yeah, we definitely went with a win-now mindset in the pro league. We were trying to get players that we thought were going to help us now. By the way, there's salary caps. So that was a big consideration. Like, Carey Price actually went pretty late as far as goalies, even though he might be one of the more valuable goalies next year, just because if you draft him, you're locked into him for like 10 years or whatever. But in 
general, I do I do like team uh, win now. I know Victor definitely doesn't, and he'll discuss that with some of the picks that he made. He also traded a bunch of his pro picks to uh, get uh-huh. extra picks in this prospects draft. So obviously he's just thinking about three, four years down the road. I feel like it's like, first of all, yeah, this idea of like, I don't even know if this league is going to exist. And obviously maybe this one's a little different because it's with some patrons and Victor's running it. So maybe I have a bit more confidence than usual. Uh, but also it's just like, I'm not a patient person, Brian. Like, you know from running this podcast with me, like, I just want to, I can't imagine just like sitting and waiting season after season, losing over and over again. Obviously there's like, I guess some other things you could be having fun with and you're watching how your prospects are doing and you could be still moving picks or doing whatever. But I don't know. I've never played in a fantasy league where like I haven't made the playoffs and I don't want it to start now. So I, I can't imagine being a losing team, but maybe I'll learn that this was a big mistake when like two, three years down the road, Matthew <laughs> yeah. and I are in, we're going to be in cap hell and we're going to have no idea what we're doing. And yeah, it might be a disaster, but I'm hoping we'll have a championship under our belt by then. I hope you're not dooming yourself to being what the Red Wings ended up being with their like 25 year streak or what did it end up being 26 of making the playoffs, except they were not a serious contender for the large part of the, of those last years, yeah. you know, essentially since Lidstrom uh, and Enco retired or moved on. So uh, don't do that. You don't want to well, be a bubble team. But to be fair, the Red Wings have some cups on their mantle, right? So at the end of the day, is it better to be them or is it better to be... Well, no, but I'm not comparing you to the prime Red Wings when the, all their players were in their primes and they were yeah. firing in all cylinders. I'm comparing you to the Red Wings after that who were like, let's just keep the streak going and never draft first. And now, of course, they've got they've got the tank perfected. I think they're going to tank another year. But let's see, Elon, are you going to tank? Is anyone clearly looking like they're going to tank from this draft? Yeah. Someone on this call is, and it's Victor, his pro team. Like, who did you even take first in the pro draft? Because I feel like you traded away some early picks, and you didn't pick until, like, round four or five, right? I traded, and I picked in round three, and I feel like I still got a pretty good player. I got Miro Heiskanen with my first pick, which was 52nd overall. So, you know, I also... doesn't feel very tanky. Like, who was taken around that? So around there went, so right before went Shabbat, after went Wierenski, after went Riley, Landeskog, well, Sagan. Uh, I'm not saying that that pick was tanky, but the fact that he traded his first two picks, oh, that means true. all like 45, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's 20 people in the league. So that was like a, a whole bunch of people that went before he got Haskin in, sure. who's going to be great. And you're hoping that I guess he'll be the main defenseman but i don't know i don't even know if haskinen is a number one defenseman in fantasy like i don't know if you could win the league if haskinen is your top defenseman i think you want him in your like maybe top two or three maybe you'll disagree uh why don't you answer like obviously also you got haskinen before that amazing playoff run where his value skyrocketed you wouldn't have been able to get him so late before so if anything maybe i should be advising you to sell high (laughs) yeah well i think definitely haskinen is not what some of these other top power play offensive defensemen are but what he has that those other guys don't is he's going to play you know, 25, 26 minutes a night, and that's going to allow him to rack up a lot of counting stats. And we also saw in the playoffs that he can score too, you know, so I don't think that he'll be like a necessarily a 60 point defenseman, but I think he has a pretty high floor to be, you know, in the 40s, 50s at least. And certainly there's upside for more. It just depends on whether he can unseat Klingberg, who's also very capable at running a power play. So so yeah, there's definitely like, it's not the highest upside guy for sure, but he's young and he certainly has capability of being a number one, certainly a top pairing guy. So that's, that's part of the reason I went with him. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Uh, Brian, on the opposite side, I was definitely anti-tank. I actually traded a prospect pick early on. Mathieu and I traded our sixth round prospect pick for Matt Dumba 
who at the time I was like, okay, we need a defenseman. He's a solid enough guy. He's got a pretty decent contract. Turns out the person who got picked in the prospect draft was Vili Huso, the, uh, I guess, now backup. Or no, St. Louis, did St. Louis end up signing a goalie to uh, tandem with with uh, Bennington? They did, right? No, oh, I think he's the backup. I think Huso's oh. going to be the backup. Still got to wrap my head around all the goalies <laughs> and where they all led. Yeah, so Huso, Huso might be huge next year. But anyway, so different strategies for sure, like you said, Victor. A couple other strategies I wanted to bring up that I guess we'll like get into as we go through this draft. But uh, I feel like there's also this idea, especially when you're picking prospects, of like you're going for like a player with like a high floor versus a player with a high ceiling. I know you judged me for a couple of my picks about <laughs> like just trying to go for a guy that you know, like, I know he's going to be in the NHL. I think he's going to be solid. We'll get to uh, my John Marino pick in a little while. And you were like, come on, he's <laughs> never going to be like a 60, 70 point guy. Why not go take a big swing? But of course, the downside is if you take a big swing, it might be someone who might not do anything, right? And so that's one thing. I guess that's just like a theme that we can talk about as we go through the picks. Uh, why don't we just start with the picks? Actually, let, let's start at the top. Finally. We're, we're 10 minutes into the show. I think we've set the table pretty well, hopefully. But uh, so first pick went to the Kalamazoo Fighting Karens, a good friend of ours, Chris. And he it wasn't a surprising pick to me. I'm, I'll be curious to hear, Victor, if it was surprising to you or Brian. But uh, Alexis Lafreniere. And remember, these are all players who have played 82 games or less in the NHL that are owned by a team. So like Kale McCarr was available to be drafted because he's played less than 82 games. But like like you said, Miro Haskinen wasn't because he's played over 82 games. So just to make sure you understand it. But of all those eligible players, Lafreniere went first. And yeah, Victor, what did you think of the pick? Can't argue with though. I think the top four really were pretty interchangeable. It probably depended a little bit on team needs and whether you wanted that elite defenseman, elite winger, or elite center, because those, in my opinion, are the top four, which we'll get to in a second. Byfield, Lafreniere, Makar, and Hughes were really the four. I think they're in that conversation. So I think it makes sense to take a winger, really, because, you know, left wingers, especially at that high level, are pretty valuable. Uh, and so made sense. Plus, his team is built to, you know, compete now. And Lafreniere is going to step into that role in the Rangers and just, you know, probably put up 60 points ish. So that's, uh, that's pretty great. And, and especially, I think in, in these kind of leagues, it all comes down to value per dollar. And that value per dollar that Lafreniere is going to give right off the bat is just ridiculous. It's probably the best in this entire draft. So that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, you sort of have to contextualize it just to be clear. So uh, everybody, I think you mentioned Elon has to have fewer than 82 NHL games played in this draft. So just looking at it, I'm going to just rhyme off the next three picks to help contextualize who Lafreniere is being chosen instead of. So ahead of Kel McCarr and then the Quintons, Byfield and Hughes going three and four uh, before we had a mini goalie run. But those were the top four skaters off the board. In that context, like I I see your point, Victor Lafreniere is going to be the cheapest for the longest, uh, along with Byfield, but Byfield might not be playing in the NHL uh, like immediately uh, after listening to the interview with Will Scouch, who said, you know, he might get a tryout, eight to 10 games, and then maybe he stays, maybe he doesn't. But the Kings also aren't a really great team. And who knows how much opportunity there'll really be for Byfield to succeed with like, with what wingers, right? And Lafreniere has the advantage of getting to play with uh, a bona fide NHL centerman, for sure. Um, so yeah, so I like Lafreniere over Byfield. Over McCarn Hughes is a little dicier for me, because obviously I love their defensive eligibility. And plus, they're not like they're just one year further out. You know, you'll you'll have one less year 
of their ELC, you'll have to pay them sooner. But mm-hmm. to be honest, I think it might be worth it for that position eligibility, though I've always been a sucker for a top end defenseman. I, I think that I would agree with you because that value over replacement, right? That elite D uh, with McCarr and Hughes, I, I think you have to, I, I probably, if I were winning now, I probably would have picked. In fact, we actually did a, a mirror league of this because why not have even more leagues, right? Mm-hmm. We actually did another one where I took Elon's strategy, actually. And uh, my, I had the very first pick in that prospect draft, and I took Makar. Because I think if you're trying to win now, that value over replacement probably exceeds Lafreniere. Although I think it's close, right? It probably depends on how your team is built. And if, if your team is lacking that, as Elon was saying, top top end fantasy you know, defenseman, then it makes sense to take one of those two. And Makar, I think, is slightly ahead of Hughes because Hughes just, like, I think he's allergic to hitting. He just doesn't hit anything. So Makar gives you a little bit in that in that sense. And I think the points are pretty similar. So a little bit of a boost there for Makar. Yeah, that's the thing to me. And I guess we don't really need to dig too deep into Makar and Hughes. People know all about them. But I would be a little concerned that the with the peripherals. Like you said, like Quinn Hughes is awesome. And he might be a 70-point defenseman next year. And he's going to be great for assists, great for power play points, no doubt. But he had 126 shots in his first season, like in 68 games, which is like two shots a game, which is decent for a defenseman, but not like amazing. And then, like you said, he only had seven hits, I'm counting, and then 46 blocks. And Makar also, by the way, only like four 47 blocks in 57 games so like these are like rookies so it's possible that they're gonna you know play i don't know more physical games and get more hits and blocks moving forward but that'd be a reason for me to maybe go with like a lafreniere just because you're getting this elite defenseman but they might not even actually be the top defenseman in fantasy just for a league like this which again is like goals assists shots like special teams points hits blocks like the whole shebang uh but you can't obviously you can't go wrong with them I mean, when you're when you're comparing them to the the guys who are like 21 and under, I still yeah, think you know no one else sticks out. But you know, depending on if you already covered that base in the pro draft, or you're like, yeah, I'm gonna have a pro who's who's already played more than a full season and is gonna cover more categories, then that gives you some license, of course, to go for a forward instead. So I, I don't know who Chris's exactly uh, pro, pro picks were and if he already had that position covered off but it's definitely justifiable but i will push back a little on you saying like you want other guys because like none of these guys who have played fewer than 82 games and are defensemen uh, have really proven anything about themselves and that like especially for a defenseman you know you, you never know just how low someone's ceiling might be so i would mm-hmm. be going for straight up points rather than uh guessing around for who's going to be the best all-around ca- breadth category filler yeah can i throw one name at you so we could jump around i guess a little bit a 10th overall by the way my first pick me and matthew didn't pick till 20th overall for our first pick so uh, don't get me wrong if, if Makar or hughes or anyone like that would have fallen to us we would have been salivating and taking them in a second uh, what about 10th overall adam fox who had a really solid rookie year obviously he wasn't like a top power play getting like 60 70 point paces like Makar and hughes but he had a solid like 44 points in 70 games so almost like a 50 point pace and we had you know 92 blocks uh which is you know so we help with the peripherals and who knows like if d'angelo i'm just curious to know like victor i think i've heard you say you're very high on adam fox like do you think that there's an argument to be made that fox could be more valuable than quinn hughes in a multi-category league just because of his peripherals and still like a pretty high offensive upside or is that crazy talk no i it's 100 i i definitely like that pick uh, i 
he went right before my next pick, which I would have considered him, but I probably I probably wouldn't have. But um, Fox is, I think, probably should have won the Calder this year. Quite honestly, he was that good. Wow. Uh, and when you look at real life n- numbers, his his wins above replacement, goals above replacement, just blew those other guys out of the water. So in terms of total impact on the team, he was way better. Plus, he uh, you know he at even strength was great. I think he outscored them at even strength, if I'm not mistaken. He just he didn't have the opportunity, right? He didn't run the power play. But when he did, when he was given the opportunity, he showed that he was capable. I think the reason why in fantasy I'm a little not as uh, gung ho in both feet on Fox is because there's so many options there in New York, right? I mean, you have you have Tony D. I don't think Truba is really going to get a look on the top power. Play, but you have uh, Kendra Miller coming up and Niels Lundqvist might be the best of all of them. So he's going to have a lot of competition. And so for that reason, um, I probably would shy just a little bit away. Whereas like no one's taking Hughes's spot. I don't think Byram's going to take Makar's spot, although that's an interesting discussion that we could have. But for that reason, I would probably not go so high on, on Fox, but he is, he is amazing. He is an amazing defenseman and he is like, he, very soon could be the like, I think he was the best defenseman on that team just as a rookie which is crazy yeah I'll pump Fox's tires a little bit and just point out Elon you said uh you gave his 70 game point totals but he didn't do anything for the first seven games of the season if you take those out and that's not a lot because <laughs> he still has 63 games after that he uh finished the year with 42 points in 63 games which is a full season 55 point pace. He did manage 13 power play points, even though he wasn't full time quarterbacking the power play. Victor, I share your, your hesitation and reluctance about Fox and that you just don't know how high his upside can be if. Uh, when there are so many other players in the picture and the, the Rangers do seem pretty committed to D'Angelo. So uh, so that's a reason to sort of avoid Fox. But he seems like one of those guys who could, even if he's not quarterbacking the top power play, he might still find a way to 45 or 50 points, especially if the Rangers have this this great firepower um, that they're supposed to within yeah. the next couple of years, right? With guys like Kako and Lafreniere growing and, uh, and Zubanejad and Panarin. I don't need to name you the, the Rangers <laughs> roster. You know them, but he's got a, he's got a good group of guys to work with. Definitely. Yeah, the Rangers are a good place to be. I'm definitely thinking, Brian, that for next season of Keeping Carlson, I'm going to be buying a Rangers hat. <laughs> I just need to like have a good fantasy draft where I get a bunch of Rangers. Like, If I could get like Panarin in the cupful... I'm done. I'm a Rangers fan because it's, it's very exciting. And actually, you know, we've already talked about Lafreniere. We've already talked about Fox. There was still another Ranger that got taken in the top 10, and that was in this goalie run, um, Igor Shostyorkin. So yeah, just very exciting about the Rangers. But I guess actually, before we get to that, Victor, I'm sure you want to talk about the guy who you took with your first pick in the draft, which was third overall. So Lafreniere went, then Makar. You could have taken Quinn Hughes, but you went with the other Quinn, Quinton Byfield. So yeah, here's your chance to talk about why you were such a brilliant genius to take Quinton Byfield, third <laughs> overall in the prospects draft i mean the thing about byfield and i know that i'm one of the few people on team byfield over even lafreniere um because i would take him first in a in a one in like in a um a shallower dynasty like just for the 2020s um and i have so far actually but the thing is that he's so young he's 10 months younger than lafreniere and so when you look at it that way and you look at their equivalency it's more fair to compare what Byfield did this year to what Lafreniere did last season, the season before. And when you do that, it's not even close. Byfield is way better. And um, not only that, I know that centers can be faded. Uh, and so 
if you don't count faceoff wins in some of the other categories, then it's probably closer, like wing over center. I could hear that argument. But in this league specifically, which counts faceoff wins and all the peripherals, he's just he's a unicorn. He's big. He's strong. He's going to hit people. He's going to win faceoffs. He's going to score at probably a similar rate to Lafreniere, I would imagine, at their peak. And so for all those reasons, I'm taking the guy that you could never like. You can't replace a guy like that in his peak. Like they're like those top end number one all situation centers uh, do not grow on trees, and they're very rare. And so even though, yes, fade centers, but to me, not at the very top. You don't. Damn. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good justification, especially if you're like you're you're building your core that you want to build around. You want. You expect to have this guy for, assuming the league lasts that long, 10, 15 years, uh, it's going to be hard to pick out another. You might not have another chance for a long time to pick out another Quinton Byfield. So uh, so I'm down with that. Let's talk about this goalie run, though, that went so <laughs> Byfield, Quinn Hughes, and then uh, a surprising name at the top of this goalie run. If you were to name all the goalies who pretty much we just started seeing this year or just coming over, uh, you've got just Jorkin. He wasn't the first in this run. Sorokin was not the first in this run. Samsonov was not the first in this run. Thatcher Demko led this goalie run. I have to say that's not how I would have done it. Shostyorkin went next and Sorokin and Samsonov. Uh, I don't know that I would even have taken Demko second in this goalie run. Was this draft sometime around that like huge, what was it, like 45 save game that he had that put him like... You know that that made everybody think that the Canucks could actually let go of Markstrom and survive. It was yes. after the. It was after the. So it had, it had happened already. Yeah, I I wonder if that was it. In. Like the same night though. Like was this <laughs> no, happening no. at the draft? But okay. Brian, like, doesn't matter, right? It happened. That's the last thing we've seen of Demko. So obviously, yeah. Kevin, who made this pick, liked what he saw. Yeah. I'm assuming then he made that pick, and then afterwards, the Canucks signed Braden Holtby. I don't know if that made him dislike the pick a little more. <laughs> Probably. Uh, but maybe he's not thinking about just next season. Maybe he's thinking about like multi years down the road. Like definitely, Thatcher Demko has been talked about as like. A a top prospect on the Canucks they're expecting to come up and be the number one goalie but yeah I wonder if I definitely agree with you Brian that I wonder if that would have been Kevin's pick if those three games at the end of the playoff series versus Vegas like wouldn't have happened uh Victor what do you think if, if you were to rank Demko Shostyorkin Sorokin and Samsonov in terms of who you'd want on your team how would you rank them well Demko wouldn't even be fourth he'd probably be I don't know, 15th on my goalie list. What? So I would definitely not have taken him there. That's 100% sure. Yeah. I can, I'm just, Elon, between us, could we name 15 goalies who have played <laughs> fewer? I think we could just because we've been so focused on the draft, but like, it's a unique point in time that we probably could. 15th. I mean, I can think of a couple others, but sorry to interrupt you. Well, okay. Uh, as we're going through the draft and yeah. we'll get to goalies, then Victor will answer whether he likes this guy better than Demko. But why are you so down on Demko? I want to know now if this is my, like, <laughs> I assume maybe, yeah, maybe he's not as good as just Jorkin, but he's pretty, I thought he was pretty good. No, he is. Uh, that's why he's in the top 15. But um, <laughs> no, he, he so I mean, part of it is that we've seen what he can do. Yes. And I'm I'm with I'm with Brian. You can't just like with everybody. You can't just look at what he did in the playoffs. That was ridiculous. Two goals in three games. He was playing out of his mind. Um, but when you look at the regular season, you know, he 
couldn't outperform the protection that the team offered in front of him, which is a really bad sign. And his goals saved above average and expected were both negative. Um, So, you know, it wasn't a super impressive regular season. I still think that I wouldn't hold that necessarily against him and say that he's a bad goalie, but he's certainly not on a level with these other guys. And opportunity matters. And I'm sure that Kevin was thinking, yeah, he's going to be the starter. And and so that's part of it. Um, And starters are hard to come by in a 20 team league where we're all rostering, you know, two to three goalies. It's going to be tough. So I think that that was part of it, but um, on its, on his talent alone, for sure, I would say Sestjorkin is the top. I mean, he's shown it on a bad Rangers team, way outperforming the protection that was offered to him. Uh, I think that I would, even though we haven't seen him do it at this level, I like Sorokin next because just looking at his KHL stats and, and the scouting reports, he he looks to be on the in the same conversation as Sestjorkin. And Samsonov, I think, is uh, maybe just a step behind, but he's in that. Those three Russians are in the conversation for the top three for me. Uh, and then I also like Merzlikens, who went a little bit later. And I really like your pick, Elon. He's one of my huh. top guys for sure. Uh, oh, that's interesting. So you're talking about Cal Peterson, Cal who Peterson. I sort of I looked at, and I, I'll be honest, I was like, really, Brian? Cal? Let me tell you this. I know. Well, I just remember how much you love Cal Peterson. Like I know you've been like every every chance you get, you're like, well, you know, he could be a breakout candidate. Like he's he's someone who's on the up and up. All right, so before Victor talks about how awesome Cal Peterson is, I will tell you that in the draft, as we were doing it, it came to our pick. Matthew and I had this idea in our heads. It was like Kako was falling, and like Suzuki at one point, it seemed like he was falling. Like we had a couple guys we were like really excited about getting, and then like we got sniped on them like right before our picks. I don't know if you could say sniped on like these guys that probably we shouldn't have expected to fall to us at 20th overall. But then when it finally came to our pick, we were like, okay, who should we take? And Matthew, oh, by the way, I should also mention, Brian, that I. It was my, like, one goal in the pro draft, like, not reach for goalies. It's like, I really had it in my head that goalies are always letting us down. I'm not going to let us take some, like, whatever, Bobrovsky or even someone who was good last year. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, who who were the best goalies. Like, I don't know, Vasilevsky, obviously. Uh, Leonard. You know, I didn't want to take a goalie high. I would rather take, you know, good, solid forwards that are going to, like, fill multi-categories and do all that good stuff for us. And then I was thinking, we'll deal with it in the prospects draft. And so in the pro draft, we just got Ulmark at some point, like, really late. And then we got Thomas Grice, like, even later, who's now, by the way, a starting goalie on, like, a terrible team. But still, like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm okay with that. And then anyway, so we, like, knew we were going to go for a goalie in this draft pretty early. And Mathieu was like, let's go with Cal Peterson. And honestly, Brian, I had your voice in my head saying, like, Cal Peterson's, come on, he's not that good. Anyways, but then Mathieu convinced me that we should. He was, like, saying, you know, LA's looking so amazing. Like, all these prospects. Like, you, you just heard Victor talk about how Quinn Byfield is going to be, like, the best guy of all time. And they've got, like, Turcotte <laughs> and Kalyov and whoever. And so anyways, plus, you know, uh, as as Brian, as you have said a lot, like Jonathan Quick is not exactly uh, the top goalie in the league anymore himself. So it's like just a matter of time before Cal Peterson takes over. Anyways, we, we dropped that Peterson pick. That, the, Brian, the chat room was beautiful. So many like, no, oh no, God, jo- Josh, darn it. Like people were very unhappy with that pick, which obviously made me very happy. So seems like uh, these prospect people... They really like Cal Peterson, so for what it's worth. I should also mention one other thing that I think is really interesting. This, When I set up this league, one thing I chose specifically is that the goalie stat is even straight save percentage. So in Fantrax, it gives you the option of not just having straight up save percentage, but even strength. And the reason I picked that, we all know that even strength save percentage is uh, more sustainable and more reflection of what what is going on 
with that goalie, as opposed to it's much harder, right, to save at um, on, on the on the penalty kill. So I think that you know that's going to allow the goalies to at least hopefully be more representative of what their actual skill is, and not be swayed so much by um, the the shorthanded or power play. Uh, situation. So I don't know if I don't know if you guys thought about that at all. But for me, it just allowed me to, I think, rely more on just the inherent talent of the goalkeeper and not right. I mean, yes, the situation matters, but not just, uh, you know, be um, swayed by those other factors as much. So Brian, after all of this, are you are you still kind of like rolling your eyes a bit at the Cal Peterson pick? Or do you think it's okay? Like a little? I, <laughs> I, I just like so Cal Peterson, for anyone who doesn't know, he was drafted in 2013 by the Sabres. So he's, he's, uh, he turned 27, like last week. So happy belated birthday, Cal Peterson. Uh, he was drafted. uh, And then after he was signed by the Sabres, he never signed a contract with them. So he just became a free agent and, uh, just signed his entry level deal with, um, with the Kings. And, uh, things have gone really well for him so far in his NHL stints in 19 NHL games, 923 save percentage, uh, 10, 7, and 1 record. So way to go. Uh, but in his AHL record, uh, but I never really go much by AHL record, especially with goalies. It doesn't seem to be terribly predictive because a lot of goalies in the AHL, especially if they're bound for the NHL, are working out aspects of their game. Like it's a safer space. The stakes aren't as high. So they're usually trying to to fix a part of their game or improve a part of their game that might make them somewhat uncomfortable. So I'm not so turned off by the fact that Peterson has essentially a 900 save percentage over 75 career AHL games in the last two seasons. Sorry, his first season was better. He had a 910 save percentage in the AHL, which I'm conveniently leaving out. But I just, yeah, I mean, I I like the thought that he's going to be good in LA when LA is good, but that still might be several years out. And I'm not sure that's going to be any sooner than guys who I think are supposed to be actually better goalies who went later, like Askarov. Um, he went in the th- third, second round, second round mm-hmm. uh, se- seventh seventh pick, second round, so 27th overall, uh, so seven picks after you. Um, and then I guess you have Jake Enger, Kapokakinen, Spetsner Knight going 38, 39, and 40 is well, another group of goalies who, like, I don't know, I wouldn't, like, jump so high for Cal Peterson above them, but... I, you did. Well, let me offer one more thing because I think that he, that he only has 19 NHL games and LA is not good, but he he has almost just jerking like numbers in those games he played for LA. He well outperformed his Delta Fenwick and he had eight goals saved above expected. Remember, this is a bad LA team. So I know that's not a huge sample size, but I think the advanced numbers show that he's pretty good. And I agree with you that I don't think on his talent alone, he's better than those other goalies. But I think you combine that with the situation. And I think LA is going to be a dominant team in two or three years for a long time. And so I think Peterson is going to get starts. I mean, he's already he's probably going to be I don't know, at worst 40-60 with quick, maybe even 50-50, especially with this compressed uh, schedule that we're going to have. So I think you you take all that into account, and I think that you're getting a very valuable goalie um, and, you know, maybe a bit of a reach, but for a team that wants to compete right now, I think it makes perfect sense. Right, yeah, Brian, I guess, obviously, like, a lot of I these picks... I support you, yeah. Elon. You can rub this in my face all oh. you want. I just, I just, it, it seemed like a, it seemed like a bit of a reach, but... I 
I imagine the other 19 managers in your league have a better read on who is valuable and when. So if, sure. if, if you had the jaws dropped in the, in the draft chat, then maybe, maybe you shouldn't listen to me. No, I mean, I definitely agree with you. Like, probably Askarov, who went to Nashville and in the first round of the NHL draft of this year, is probably going to be the more valuable guy. But like I said, like, Matthew and I want to win, like, now, like, in the next two, three seasons before all of our contracts catch up to us. Uh, so I guess, yeah, we took a shot on someone that we think will will play right away. But you, it'll make you happy, Brian, that then in round four, we went with another goalie who somehow fell super far in this prospect's draft. I'll be curious to ask Victor why he thinks that happened. But we got Pavel Francouz, who I think is, like, basically tandem with Grubauer in college. Colorado and he still has a couple years left on a pretty decent contract like two million a year obviously like we're paying more than like a Cal Peterson who still has two years like 800,000 but uh, we got Pavel Francouz pretty late so all of a sudden now our team that like didn't think about goalies at all in the pro draft I think we've got four solidish guys but yeah I'm curious to know I guess from both of you what your thoughts are on Pavel Francouz and then I promise after this I won't just like focus on my team and we'll actually just go through the picks but since we're talking about goalies anyways and then maybe also Victor while you comment on Francouz you could also maybe uh, touch on like the Edinger's Kocken and Spencer Knight on if you uh, think that they're better than Patrick Demko yes I think all those guys are better than Demko quite honestly <laughs> um, but I don't think that the situation is necessarily better so you have to take into account the the quality of the goalie like Edinger as much as I like Edinger he's blocked right I mean Bishop is there Hudobin is there when is he going to get to play three years two three years from now uh, that's not very valuable so that's a long wait on a goalie that could be really good a lot of ifs ands and buts so uh, I think his fantasy value is lower but the but the goalie himself I think is really good and I think Kakanen has an outstanding situation and I think he is also really good and he's shown it at the AHL level Spencer Knight who I took actually uh, I think is up there as one of the best goalies prospect goalies out there but it's a long wait so it made sense for my team right because I'm not looking to win right now so I can wait two or three years until he's relevant. But yeah, I think that Demko is in that conversation, um, you know, in the 10 to 15 range, which those guys are, you know, around there. So, um, but I do, and, and Franco's, uh, Franco's is, has, has shown in his small ish sample size and 34 games with Colorado that he can outperform uh, by 0.21, the, the protection that's offered to him. And he's has saved almost three goals above average. I mean, above expected. So, you know, he's, he's a pretty good goalie. I think that I wonder if maybe his performance in the playoff uh, hurt his value. And that's why he dropped a little bit because he had a little bit of a rough uh, couple, yeah. couple games against the stars. Yeah, then he was injured, and then yeah. uh, then maybe he didn't even look that bad compared to what Michael Hutchinson did. <laughs> but by the way, uh, I will stop in quickly on Kapo Kakinen, who Pete and Ryan have. I agree with you that that's a good situation in Minnesota. Like they got Talbot now, so I guess Kakinen maybe starts the year in the minors again, and it'll be Talbot and Stalock. Stalock, right? Yeah, who took over from Dubnik at the end of the season. So, but it does seem like it's not too many people in the way, and I have heard good things about Kapo Kakinen. But okay, let's go back to the first round now. So there was this goalie run then there was a guy and then adam fox who we've discussed and that guy in number ninth overall someone who hasn't played in the nhl yet and hasn't been drafted recently so kind of a rare person to see in the first, i think everyone else in the first round has either played nhl games or was drafted in the last year or two and i'm talking about kirill kaprizov who's been in the khl i guess doing very very well there and now he's going to come into the minnesota wild is it like just a sure thing to you victor that he's coming to the top line top power play like he's going to get the best of I mean, he's going to be like a superstar on this team along with Fiala. I mean, he pretty much has the highest upside of anyone on that team, I think. I do think Fiala is a star, and he certainly showed it at the NHL level. So 
you know, obviously he has the edge there. But yeah, I think Kaprizov is for sure like the top left wing option in Minnesota. So he should get all the best deployment. Uh, hopefully Marco Rossi makes the team and can play center because other than that, I can't see Nick Benino making uh, Kaprizov's value super high. So that's the problem. I mean, that's the only thing that really limits his upside because, you know, he, he just looks like a star, but if you don't have someone to to pass it to you and, and a winger on the other side that can uh, take some of the heat, he's not, his upside is going to be ultimately a little bit dampened, but I do think he has, you know, he has Panarin-like upside for sure if he if the situation can work out. I don't think he'll quite get to that point, certainly not in the first year. Um, and he is a little bit older. So at this point, he's probably like in his prime. Uh, and so that's a little bit of the downside with him. He's he's definitely a guy that you want if you're winning now. Like for me, that would make no sense for my team to take him because uh, by the time my team was good, he'd be on the downhill. For sure. Yeah, like that. that's the big concern about Kirill Krapizov is that he's got no one to play with. He's got Fiala, uh, assuming that the Wild want to stack one line with two of their most exciting offensive players uh, and play no one with them. Uh, what he does have going for him is that he's 23 years old already. So hopefully uh, he's grown a little bit into the role of being a full-time NHLer without having to actually have been in the NHL to play the games. He's just older. He's been playing against against men for, for a few years now. In fact, he led the KHL in goal scoring last year with 33 goals and finished third in the KHL in points behind Dmitry Yaskin. And anyone want to guess who led the, the KHL in points last season? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Give me a clue. Uh, it's in, it's somebody who didn't get a fair shot in the NHL. Oh, was it Eddie Yakupov? Lack? <laughs> no. Uh, who did you say, Elon? I was a joke. Eddie Lack. I don't know. He's someone that you always Eddie say didn't Lack. get a fair shot. <laughs> no, I never, I've never said that about Eddie Lack. Uh, Vadim Shibashov. Shibashov. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, who, who led the, the league with 48 assists ahead of Linus Omark's 42. Anyway, I'm not gonna, I, I love going through KHL scoring leaders uh, just for the names you see but Kaprizov led his team of course followed uh, far behind by former LA King Lyndon Vey I'm doing it again sorry so Kaprizov is a is a nice exciting pick and someone who just feels more mature than anybody drafted in this crop like in the most recent crop uh, and who might have higher upside or as high upside than anybody who was drafted in that crop so we had Kaprizov and then Adam Fox and then Jack Hughes goes 11th which to me feels pretty good like that was victor me. you talked about like reaching out and grabbing oh that was you so you got mm-hmm. quinton byfield and jack hughes and you were talking about how hard it is to find one generational franchise cornerstone centerman but you grabbed two in the first 11 picks of the first round yeah i was i was pretty happy with that i I, there were some options there at 11. There were still some pretty decent skaters with good upside. Um, but I felt like Hughes has probably one of the highest upside of any of the guys left that was there. Uh, and I do think I, I still have this feeling that he's going to be a winger. And so I was kind of thinking about that too, because I didn't want too many centers. Like you can't have just 12 centers on your team, you know? Um, but at this point, my team is so young that it doesn't probably matter. And I just was looking for the highest points upside guy. And I, I think he's, you know, has, has century mark upside and, and I don't think he's going to hit it this year, maybe not even next season, but I do think that he can, he can get there. And New Jersey seems like they're starting to fill out their forward core with some good players. Right? They got uh, Holtz, 
I believe in this draft, which people are excited about. I, I listened to your podcast recently, Fantasy Hockey Life with Jesse Severe, and you were talking about how you guys are very excited about the group of players that are going to be available for Hughes and Hishir to play with in the next few years, right? Yeah, I mean, they had a great draft. Um, I think Holtz, you know, could play in the league. And then you have, I think, I think he is a very underrated center uh, who I took on the, in the pro draft actually in this league. I think he's an underrated center. I think, you know, Gusev uh, had a tough adjustment, but I think he should be pretty good. They have some, some, some really good talent in that top six. And I think looking down the road, Dawson Mercer is another guy that they took uh, in the first round that I think has some pretty high end upside too. So it sure seems like New, New Jersey is going to be pretty good but I I sort of hesitate too because I thought they were going to be pretty good this year looking at all their offseason moves and they were just awful yeah well their big three acquisitions were Hughes who they drafted and Subban and Gusev and all three looked like not huge busts but like all three were not great for the first I guess PK Subban was kind of a huge bust like all three were not great a couple months into the season but yeah Hughes we assume will get a lot better and Gusev already did show that he can be a lot better and who who knows with PK Subban but uh yeah I'm excited about that team for sure by the way I thought it was really funny Victor how you said that like picking Kaprizov would make no sense for your team because by the time he by the time your team's ready to compete he'll be like too old like he's 23 like when is your team planning to compete no i just mean that i what what when is he gonna like his his peak upside is like gonna be in the next season or two but i i mean i plan to win several championships in in three or four years that's that's my plan it's not gonna be this season it's not gonna be next season but in a few years yeah watch out and the other thing i wanted to say about hughes is that no one has ever done what he did right no one has come straight from the u.s national team development program and go straight to the nhl that's like three levels that he jumped, you know, it's, it's really, really crazy that he went that far. And so the fact that he was like, you know, meh in the NHL this season is still like amazing that he was able to do that. Uh, and there were yeah. definitely, there were definitely times where he looked really good and I, you know, he's, he's going to figure it out. I have no doubt about that. Yeah. Definitely forgiving that first season for that reason, because he, he was following a brand new path and also like things were not, totally neat and tidy in New Jersey either. There was a coaching change and the whole Taylor Hall thing sitting out games feels like ages ago, but this all happened during Jack Hughes's first season. It would be unfair to judge him, especially as an 18 year old centerman uh, on any of it. So I, I love that you took a swing. Well, didn't even take a swing that you were able to nab him this far down beyond Thatcher Demko. Sorry, Kevin, if you're listening, uh, I don't mean to rag on you. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. After Jack Hughes, Elvis Merzlikens went who is a pretty great get, especially for as long as he plays in Columbus on a Tortorella coach team who protects their goalie so well. But that's not to take credit away from Merzlikens, who did look legit and real. Um, and then I'm just going to roll out the rest of the first round. And then Elon and Victor, how about you guys let me know if there's anybody you want to slow down and talk about. So we have Nick Suzuki, then Adam Bokvist, Kirby Doc, Marco Rossi, Tim Stutzle. Kapokako, Trevor Zegras, and of course, Cal Peterson rounding it out. I think there are a couple interesting nuggets in there. Uh, Elon, you want to pick a direction to go first? 
Uh, sure. I mean, I like a lot of these players for sure. I guess we could break it up into two groups. We have the people who were just drafted in Rossi and Stutzler. And then we've got, obviously, Kapokako and Bokvist and Doc who, and Suzuki, who all had their rookie seasons last year. Like, Victor, how about we start with saying, like, of those people who have played a year in the NHL, like, who are you most excited about? Like, Suzuki obviously really stepped up on the Habs as being like, this guy could be their number one center, like, next year. Kapokako, on the other hand, kind of was like Jack Hughes that kind of struggled out of the gate and didn't have a very exciting season and then you've got like Doc and Bokvist over on Chicago who I think I like that Chicago gave them a chance because they weren't a uh, competing team and now they've officially announced that they're in a rebuild so yeah I'd be curious to know like which of those four you're like most excited about and if any of them you think are like maybe people are too high on yeah well I had a pick in the middle of that run and I I feel like I got the guy that I like the best so you know, whatever, whatever that's worth. I picked Doc and uh, he may not have like the high, like may not look like the highest upside, but part of the reason I picked him is because he is a center and what he's done already in the NHL is pretty impressive in his first year. I mean, he, you know, came out and, and was, you know, played meaningful minutes. And when I watched him, like, you know, he did not look out of place. He, he could play with the stars on the team. So I really like that from Doc. I, th- I think that uh, Suzuki certainly um, has come of age and he has high upside. Uh, I'm a little, uh, I don't know what they're doing with the centers in Montreal. I think it's kind of interesting. I think he's clearly ahead of Kakaniemi, but uh, Deneau is is very capable too. So, uh, And also when I was looking into Suzuki, he um, is kind of a liability uh, to get scored on. So he's kind of a high event player when he's out there, he either scores or gets scored on. So um, that's not necessarily great for his long-term projection. Like he needs to figure that out or his coach is not going to give him the longest leash. Uh, and so that's a little bit tricky. And I think Kako, uh, I like that pick too. I really debated heavily Kako and doc just because partly because of the winger and partly because I still think Kako can be really good. And especially he's, he's a physical winger that that is in a great situation and maybe slightly less great now that they have Lafreniere, but uh, I think also still going to be, be able to put up a lot of points. So I really like that. And were we also talking Bokefist or not yet? Yeah, I didn't want to also bring up Bokefist. He played last year, uh, got a shot on the top power play, like right out of the gate as an 18 year old. Yeah, I like Bokefist. I think that he's he's pretty well-rounded. Um, I'm not sure that that top power play is gonna, 100% going to be his. They have a couple of other options, including Duncan Keith still being there and and the ghost of Brent Seabrook. But um, they they do have Ian Mitchell, who's a pretty capable guy coming in. And and he, I don't know which one of those is going to take it. I think it's, it's a question. Um, so part of the reason why I would not have gone Bokefist there, I think Bokefist is... Probably a second or third rounder is where I would have pegged him in this. I think there are defensemen that have higher upside, but he's definitely a guy who's in the league contributing now. So from that perspective, you, you know, you like it because he's certainly helpful. Right. So who would you say of the defensemen who went after Bokefist, who would, who would you have taken at this point? If you could take just like overall upside, like who fits best on your team? Oh, a hundred percent Bowen Byram. I think really? this may be a hot take, but I think Bowen Byram might be better than Kale McCarr. Wow. And do you think it's like he's better enough that, you know, the coaching staff will actually give him a shot to, right. to get the opportunity to be on the top power play? I mean, that's the million dollar question, right? I mean, I think that they're, they have such an embarrassment of riches on the blue line. They just acquired Taves. They have, they have Gerard, who's a very capable 
Eric Johnson's very underrated. He's he's good. But I think that Byram is a similar player to McCarr. I think he's very offensive, and but he's also pretty decent in his own zone. And so I think those two, I mean, it's almost like a Carlson Burns kind of thing. I think that there's like, who, who do you pick? It's like, they're both great. I don't know which one. I think that they're in the same conversation. And so uh, that's who I would have taken. Cool. And then I guess on the other side, we've got these guys who were drafted just this year and Tim Stutzler who went third overall, the Marco Rossi, all the way like ninth overall. He can't be that good, right? If he fell so far in the draft. <laughs> okay. Well, like I, I sense your sarcasm, but I think that the story here, Elon, is that the this draft flipped the order for them, right? Rossi went one pick ahead of Stutzler. So, uh, so somebody's really believing in Rossi. Like, I haven't heard a whole lot about Rossi being better than Stutzler, just maybe the fourth pick, like, deserving of being the next forward taken after Stutzler, ahead of Lucas Raymond, ahead of Jake Sanderson as a defenseman. Uh, but Rossi over Stutzler. Victor, is that a hot take? Uh, no, I was going to say you're about to hear it right now. Rossi is 100% better, in my opinion, than Stutzla. I think that there's no question what he did in the OHL was just absurd. And the fact that they got him at ninth was just, I mean, it, you know, <laughs> Buffalo walks up there and says from the Iowa 67s and everyone's like, okay, they're taking Rossi. That makes sense. And then they take Jack Quinn and it's like, what? You didn't even take the best player on the junior team. Uh, so that was, that was wild. And, uh, for sure, I think Rossi has the highest, I think he has the third highest upside in the 2020 draft. I think that when we look back at this five to 10 years from now, we're going to look back and say, how in the heck did Marco Rossi go so late? And I think that he has huge points upside. He's also walking into just the best possible situation, right? A team with no number one center, He's just rocketing up that uh, depth chart. And I think he's he's one of the few in this draft class that could actually play this season and could be, you know, given decent minutes and, and good line mates. We already talked about the line mates that he could have, Fiala and Kaprizov. So, you know, I think that that's just an amazing value pick. And I, quite frankly, I almost went Rossi, but for part of those reasons of like, well, you know, I, 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 there's some questions of whether he's like tall enough and, and, and that, um, but I think his upside is just is just really big. And I kind of um, I deliberated a lot between those two because I think between Doc and Rossi, it's uh, I think you know I don't know Rossi might have the higher upside, but Doc has certainly proven it. So there's there's that part as well. Yeah. Okay, Victor. But Brian right here is like furrowing his brow because he's a Sens fan and he wants to, how dare you say that the Sens messed up that pick? Are you like, are you just so high on Rossi or is there any of that? I'm reading your face. I'm reading your face. You're reading it incorrectly. <laughs> I just want to know, like, is it, is it more when you say Rossi better than Stutzla? Is that more just like how great Rossi is? Or is there any of that to like, maybe Stutzla isn't that great in terms of fantasy of course maybe you could also give his real life but like what do you think about is the comparison between the two of them close or not even close to you in real life or in fantasy i guess both in real life it's not even close marco rossi is going to be a more impact player i think because i do think he can play center at the nhl level uh and i think he'll he'll be more impactful from from that perspective And and i think his pure upside in points is higher from a fantasy perspective but certainly rossi will probably score i mean sorry stutzla will score more goals and so I like that. Um, I, I think that uh, I think in fantasy they're closer, but I would still put Rossi ahead. And yeah, I do think the Senators made. I, I don't know what they were doing. I don't think they took 
the, the, the third and fifth best players at their three and five pick. And they really could have used, I know they have a lot of good centers, but Marco Rossi is better than any center they have in their system. So do they, who, who are their really good centers? Drake Batherson? Is he a center? He's probably going to be a winger, but they have Norris and they have Logan Brown. Um, so, I mean, they Colin have Colin White is, is someone Colin who's White. supposed to do something someday. But, these are uh, the, these are their really good centers. <laughs> no, they're all like second or third line. No, I, that's, that's what I yeah. mean. Like there's no way that any of those guys, well, I mean, there is a way, but I don't think any of those guys are going to be better than the Rossi will be. And then they took Jake so, Sanderson, and they have three lefties, three great left-handed defensemen, and I don't know why they did that. So my like, so my question on Marco Rossi, and I was thinking this while listening to the scouting show that you did, Elon, was like, if everybody, everybody, everybody is like just losing it for Marco Rossi, what are NHL like? Not to no appeal to authority going on here either. Like, but I want to understand what the disconnect is between NHL scouting teams and um and every other analyst on who's who's sharing their opinion publicly on Twitter who has data and whatever to back it up. Like they're not just like fly by nighters. Like these are people I look to and trust, um, including you, Victor. So I'm just trying to to get a sense of like I I th- I don't know if anyone here has an answer, but I would love to have more insight into exactly how these disconnects in rankings happen. And if it just becomes like a cool thing to do, like, be like, Oh my God, Rossi's falling, Rossi's falling, Rossi. And like his hype just grows because like with every slot he drops and it's just that because that's exciting. Or if there really is this, this empirical difference between the way scouting departments are analyzing prospects and, um, independent prospect watchers are doing the same thing. Well, I think Matthew, I just noticed in the chat said he's small. That's really what it comes down to. He's five foot nine. And I think that there's a lot of people, a lot of scouts. And I mean, I don't know what goes on at all those levels, but a lot of people say over and over again, that if you're small, you can't play in the NHL. And we see that it's tough for sure. Right. Smaller players for sure have a harder time, but it doesn't mean that they can't. And I think especially people are saying, okay, maybe you can play wing like Goodrow and maybe, you know, Jack Hughes, who's not too much taller than Rossi will play wing, but can you play center? And that's one of the biggest things is that Rossi is a distributor. He's a playmaker. So is he going to be a playmaking winger or can he actually play center? I think that's part of it too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I get that. Like, but it's still sort of unsatisfying because I think, I feel like the small narrative like that's behind us now. Not that we've necessarily seen a bunch of small players come in and kill it. Like we're waiting for someone like Cole Caulfield to come in. Like he slipped allegedly because of his size. And uh, we know that like the online independent hockey people like on Twitter and blogs since 2007 or even before were ahead of the curve in, in sort of, showing how the best way to interpret player data can be and, and how to evaluate and whatever, like measure, like this is the whole analytics thing, right? Like analytics did win out at the end of the day and NHL organizations were resistant to it. I'm just surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be that there's still this, this much of a lag between what we think we already know in the general public versus what uh, NHL front offices will acknowledge. I know change takes a long time, especially with how um, stagnant the NHL front office talent pool 
is. I don't know if stagnant's the right word, but essentially, like, there's not a whole lot of new blood coming in and out. It's a lot of the same ideas being recycled over and over. So I guess now I'm going off on a bit of a rant, and we should probably refocus <laughs> back to the draft. But, like, I am uh, – I would love to hear more from from, like – Someone, like a reporter needs to look into this. Someone at The Athletic, free story idea, because we know you're all listening to the show. Um, yeah. <laughs> should no, we I'm hit the you, second Brian. round, Elon? Yeah, so, okay, I, I'm seeing a couple names jump out. So there's one that was still in the first round. Uh, Trevor Zegras from the Ducks went 19th overall. Then you have Dylan Cousins, another center from Buffalo, going a few picks later, uh, uh, 22nd overall. Uh, like, Zegras was someone who I heard a lot of buzz about going to this draft. Like, I think that Matthew and I were seriously considering taking him if he didn't get taken, like, right before our two picks at the turn. Uh, were we, like, lucky... To not to miss out on him, I know you're not happy with my defense pick, but anyways, but like <laughs> in general, like Trevor Zegras and like Dylan Cousins, I know they're two different people. Maybe could you bring them? They were both drafted like a couple seasons ago, high up in the first round. So, what kind of upset are you looking at there? Yeah, they're very different players. They're both centers, but Zegras is definitely more of a playmaker. He he makes Joe Thornton like passes. He he pe- people always comment that you you don't have to have you have to be ready because the puck will end up on your stick when you least expect it, and you just have to tap it in. Um, that's the kind of player he is. He's going to be an assist heavy guy. Um, he can be pretty physical. In fact, he can take some bonehead plays. So if you're in a pins pims league, then you know he'll probably take some penalties. Um, but he he definitely has like you know that seventy plus point up side in the right situation I think Anaheim is good for him he doesn't uh, really have a whole lot of competition he's got Getzloff there but other than that he's the best center prospect they have by far so that's a great situation for him Uh, he's definitely high upside Uh, I like him I like that pick and so the so Brett got both of these cousins and Zegers which is really nice and Cousins is more of a scoring center he's kind of more like your Jack Eichel right he shoots a lot he's got a great shot and he he definitely you know can be more of like the 30 30 goal 35 40 assist kind of kind of player uh in his prime and so uh that's a nice one it's kind of interesting because you know they're on the same team Cousins and and Eichel so it's like uh, they they're they're similar and they need they need a more of a playmaker though too right which is kind of funny that they took Jack Quinn who's a goal scorer and it's like who's gonna set up all these guys uh, but anyways that was kind of funny but they're they're both great I think they offer different things I would definitely put it's funny that he took him in that order because I would have flipped him I would have take Cousins first because I think you know goals are harder to come by they're more valuable he shoots more so that would probably be uh, I would have taken him first but that range is is decent for both. Cool. Yeah, I guess on Buffalo, they've got Eric Stahl, right? So, but he's only for the next season or two. Well, for the next season or two, I shouldn't say or two and two. And then also there is a still Casey Middlestat, who I guess at this point, are we just assuming Cousins is ahead of Middlestat on the depth chart? And oh, it's just yeah. a matter of time before he jumps ahead of Stahl? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I heard uh, Steve Laidlaw refer to him as Casey Middling Stats, which I love. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I haven't lost complete faith in middle stat, but he certainly has a lot to, sh- to prove. And so, yeah, Cousins is for sure ahead of him. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what Cousins done. Hopefully this season he gets a, a shot um, uh, to make the team. I think that it's possible, but he's certainly not better than Eric Stahl right now. So, yeah, maybe in another season or two, I think that that would be a good situation for him. And, and maybe Middlestack can play the wing and, and be that, that playmaker that um, they like him to be. Right. Yeah, so Buffalo, yeah. I keep saying every year that I think Buffalo's looking like they could be really good. <laughs> I'd, I'd love for it to become actually true one day. But you'd think they just got Taylor Hall. If they still can't be good, it's like, ugh, it'll be very frustrating as a Sabres fan, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So, okay, uh, at this point in the draft, right, we only have a few people left who have actually played, like, some significant NHL action. Uh, you know, like, McCarr and Hughes went, and then uh, the uh, some guys left include, like, Philip Zadina, who's going to get taken later in the second round. We talked about uh, Pavel Fransuz, uh, Gusev, and Olafsson both actually dropped pretty far, probably just because they're a bit older and already have, like, significant salaries. Uh, I went with, uh, Matthew and I went with John Marino here, and some people in the chat were like, that's a decent pick. And then you were like, this is a terrible pick. And <laughs> I thought it was just a really fun thing. And I'm curious to get Brian's thoughts here. Because, like, John Marino, of course, just had this, like, rookie season, which on paper, like, just looks, like, okay. Like, I think pretty good. Like, 38-point pace, right? 26 points in 56 games. Uh, but, of course, this was with only 15% of the power play time. He hardly got power play time. Uh, Pittsburgh, now, like, Justin Schultz is gone. He's gone to Washington. And Chris Letang, there were rumors that he'll get traded. It's looking now like he won't get traded. But, you know, Chris Letang always has that risk of getting injured. And also, we saw Schultz getting significant power play time, even though Letang was there. So, like, I saw... And also, I was just reading articles, like, on The Athletic about how John Marino, like, just had this amazing year. Like, him and Adam Fox were both, like, maybe the two of the best rookie defensemen ahead of, like, McCarr and Hughes. And maybe you'll say that you don't think Marino belongs in the same conversation as Adam Fox. But yeah, I was reading all this good stuff about him, and yeah, we, we went for this pick, and I'm curious to hear uh, from yourself and, and Brian, like, is, is John Marino, like, someone who, like, am I right to think he has higher upside, that he's going to get big minutes and now start getting more power play time now that Schultz is out of the picture, or are we looking at just, like, like a 40-point guy, like, forever? What do you think, Brian? <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought, uh... Go for it. Who, me? Or I can, sound I can. Like you were thro- sound like you were throwing to Victor first. All right, okay, I'll, Victor. I'll, I'll, <laughs> you already know what I think, but let's tell everybody. Yeah, I didn't like this pick, and I think I wrote something like he was my 400th rank skater or something like that. Um, and but again, that's that's just based on his fantasy value. Uh, I think that he is a good real life player. Uh, to me, he reminds me a lot of Mark Edward Vlasic, who's is a really good player, uh, really good defensively, certainly can like run a power play and, and have some offense, but you're not, you're not ever going to see him putting up 60 points, right? Even in the best situation, I, I doubt it. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of that is like opportunity you're thinking and, you know, getting some decent uh, playing time. He certainly is going to be one of the best defensemen on the Penguins. Uh, and so there's that, but I think just himself, I don't think has the upside to ever really hit like, even 50 points. I'm not sure that he'll get there. So that's the reason I didn't really like it. It's it, to me, it's one of those like better real life than, than fantasy. Um, so I think that there were better options, even, even though I know you want somebody that's playing now, I still think that there were probably some better, some better guys. So sorry to say that <laughs> it's true <laughs> for me. I also, uh, you know, I, I you appreciate the swing. May, like and I think it's a swing, like because you are you were counting on Latang getting injured and then uh, Marino becoming the heir apparent to the top power play role. But uh, I think there's a lot of directions that can go. And keep in mind, like if you're in a dynasty, uh, it'd be great. Like if you miss this season, as like with you know if Latang is still there this season and is blocking, say, Marino is the next in line, is blocking Marino from taking that job as the top power play quarterback, that's just one less season uh, that Marino gets to play with the best years that Crosby and Malkin have left in them. And yes, of course, Gensel's still there, but I'm just looking long-term at Pittsburgh and knowing that their prospect pool isn't so deep. And in a dynasty context, I'm just not sure 
how good Marino is. I'm looking at the other defensemen who went uh, after, like if I'm just uh, trying to compare apples to apples here, I see Evan Bouchard, who I think I would have been more interested in. I see, um, I see Brandstrom, who I don't think I'd be more interested in because I think he's stuck behind Shabbat. But I also see Ty Smith and Jamie Drysdale and Noah Dobson. And I think all three of those guys I would have preferred taking a swing on than to John Maria, Marino, who might have a higher floor than all of them, but certainly has a lower ceiling or at least seems to have a lower ceiling. Yeah, totally fair. I think we were definitely considering Evan Bouchard. You know, Edmonton did just sign Tyson Barry, so we'll see if mm-hmm. Barry's going to be there long term or just for the one year. I guess it depends how he does. Uh, yeah, for me, I guess it's also another thing that is just like general strategy in terms of what Brian said, like higher floor versus higher ceiling. I guess, like, in a prospect draft, maybe this is something I'll learn, or maybe this is something where you could go both ways. Like, I kind of had the feeling that I want, like, solid people that are going to contribute to my team. But I guess you're kind of thinking more, like, I want a guy who's going to, like, be a superstar, though it might potentially be a bust. Like, I was kind of looking at this as, like, okay, I've got a solid, like, 40-plus point. Even if he never hits super hard, a 40-plus point defenseman in fantasy is, like, pretty solid with good peripherals. And everything I see is that he's going to play big minutes. So, yeah, I definitely don't... worth, like, a second-round pick, though? Well, I don't know. You're talking about, like, Bowen Byram, who I know Victor has said some things that maybe, you know, makes him very worthwhile if you think he'll potentially get that top power play in Colorado. And then you said Brandstrom or Noah Dobson or, like, I don't know. Like, are they such a... You're naming the guys who I said I wasn't interested in. I named Bouchard and Ty Smith and Jamie Drysdale as the guys who who I was most interested in ahead of John Marino. Fair. So, yeah, I'd be curious to know, like, Victor, forgetting about John Marino now, Brian likes Ty Smith... Jamie Drysdale, do you see these? And who's the other one? Bouchard, yeah. So talk about those three guys. Bouchard, Ty Smith, Drysdale. Are you seeing what Brian's seeing of like big, like I guess you're looking at like 50 plus point uh, soon upside coming? Yeah, I think uh, Bouchard has the highest upside of all of those guys. And of course, if he gets to play with, with you know, McDavid and Drysdale and those guys, uh, the sky's the limit, right? But he also, I think, has the most talent on his own to produce points. So I like that. I think you also glossed over the guy I would also like, two guys, actually, Eric Brandstrom. I think there's a non-zero chance that he's as good as Shabbat, too. He's very good. And when you look at his equivalency, he's he's outstanding. So obviously he hasn't done it yet, and Shabbat is there and been shown that he can be great. So that might damper your expectations a little bit. But I would like that pick for your team, Elon, because he's already in the NHL, and he's you know has I think he certainly has higher upside than Marino. Um, so I would have liked that one. And Valamaki is another one who I don't think you mentioned, but he went uh, 47th overall, and I, he has basically Bouchard type upside. He plays for Calgary and he got injured last season. He was going to probably play in the NHL this past season, but he, he tore his MCL in training camp. So he's another guy who could probably step into the NHL this season. And, and, you know, yeah, Giordano's there and some other guys are there. So he might not get the reins immediately, but he has really high points upside and he's uh, tearing it up right now in the Liga over in uh, Finland. So I think he had, I looked it up earlier. He's over a point per game. Interesting. So if you had to bet right now, which defenseman is going to lead rookies next year in points? Rookie defenseman. Is Valimaki your pick? Mm, I don't think that he's going to get the opportunity necessarily. Um, that's a that's a really tough question. <laughs> Let's see. I got to look yeah. at all the options here. I would have picked Bouchard after that cleft bomb injury news. But then, of course, the Tyson Barry signing kind of then puts a damper on that for next year. But we'll see. I mean, see that's like you saying, but you already have acknowledged that Latang is t- like Marina's got Latang. Okay, I'm a, uh, yeah, Bouchard's I know. has got Barry. 
I'm happy for you to tell me. I'm I'm already like past talking about Marino. I do think Marino, even with Latang, is still a solid forty plus point defenseman. And I don't know if Bouchard has that. Like I think that Bouchard's not on the top power play. I don't think he's getting forty points for one year. I think you're good. Yeah, I don't even think Bouchard's going to be in the NHL this year. Actually, right. Okay, so I guess let's uh, lightning round this a little bit. Maybe we've got about 20 minutes to go, and I'd love to just keep talking to you for, like, three hours. Maybe we'll have to get, come back to talk about the rest of this draft at some point. But look, let's just, like, kind of look in blocks here. We've got the second round, and I guess how about I'll just, like, rhyme off the second round, and then yeah. we can sort of just, like, each point out some players that we think were, like, good or bad picks or interesting people. Uh, so, okay, I took Marino to start that round. Uh, then we've got Cousins, we've discussed. Martin Nichas is actually another guy who's played some NHL time. And yeah, I guess he's behind, obviously, Sebastian Ajo, but still has some upside. And then we've got Cole Perfetti, Lucas Raymond, so two guys who were just drafted. Morgan Frost on Philly, Askarov, the goalie, Holtz, who was just drafted. Alex Newhook, Cole Caulfield, who Brian brought up. Cody Glass over on Vegas, who potentially now Paul Stasny's gone, right? Theoretically, yeah. he can be the second line center on Vegas mm-hmm. next year. Yeah, for immediate impact, like amongst all the guys you just named, really going back to the last, like, to the Kako pick back 18th overall in round one. This is like almost, this is about 13 picks later. Cody Glass seems, seems the best, like, immediate impact option Nietzsche's might not be far behind but i think cody glass could be up there and right after him nick robertson if he can somehow find himself in the top six which has been sort of talked about uh that's another option then philip zadina so all of a sudden you had a run of three like a bunch of guys who's like okay maybe they'll make it i guess morgan frost you might say has a shot in philly too to make an impact this year but we've already seen a little bit each of glass robertson and zadina and uh think they have a, a pretty good shot of of having an impact. So those those help win now kind of teams. And mm-hmm. then it went to Byron Bouchard, Connor McMichael, Vasily Podkolzin, uh, which surprises me because I didn't really think he has much of an NHL like upside in terms of offense. I think he's like he hits, right? So maybe maybe he'll mm-hmm. help in the peripherals category. Uh, and then a few goalies to end round two, Jake Edinger, Kapo Kakinen, and Spencer Knight, but we already mentioned them in our round one goalie discussion. Yeah, so, okay, lots of directions we can go here, but Victor, like, which of these... do? Okay, how about to start off, Brian said this claim that Cody Glass might have a big impact as soon as next year, then he said, or maybe, like, a Martin Nichas. So I'd be curious to... And, like, Philip Zadina, those are the guys who really jump out in this round of, like, people who have already been in the league, and now, like, they'll be, you know, a year older and maybe get a decent shot on their teams. Like, are any of those three guys people that you think, like, in terms of for drafting for, like, one-year leagues next year even, like, you, you expect something big? Yeah, I think Glass is certainly one of those. He, it, you know, he, he, he was good at times, but he certainly struggled a little bit uh, with the pace of the NHL. So I think he, he if he can figure that out, because uh, he was just pretty inconsistent, which is understandable for a rookie. I like that one. I think Nick Robertson looked pretty great uh, on on the Leafs, and it's just so crowded in the top six there. So if he can get a spot, uh, then yeah, that would be amazing for him. He could he could have the highest ceiling in a one year league if he gets that spot, which is a, a kind of a big if, I would say. Nietzsche, I think, is really interesting because I, I think he 
if he slides over to the wing, which he has played some right wing, he he could be in the top six. And he has looked pretty good at times. And so uh, he still has pretty good point upside. I like I like that one a lot, certainly for uh, impact this year. And Carolina, the thing I hate about Carolina, though, from a fantasy perspective, is though they just roll their lines. You know, they don't give super high minutes to any of their top forwards. And so that, that hurts uh, the top end guys, but it might help a guy like Nietzsche's. Uh So I like that. Um, I also think that there's a decent chance that Connor McMichael, uh, even though he hasn't been uh, like in the AHL or anything, he, he, uh, the wa- Washington wants to, you know, they're in their window. They want to win now. So they may even bring him up. Uh, and, and he's uh, seems pretty ready. He's been doing pretty great in the OHL. So that's one, if he makes the team and he gets an opportunity uh, he could be pretty good too. Is there any room on Washington in the top six though? I'm thinking like, you know, you've got Wilson, Ovechkin, Backstrom, and then Kuznetsov, Verana, Oshie. You'd think that you would need to have an injury for Connor McMichael to do something and actually like get a role. Cause Washington is like the opposite of what you were saying about Carolina. It seems like Washington just like goes with that. They're yeah. high end players, especially on the power play, but like a Lars Eller, I guess is the next fantasy relevant guy on that team. And like, what does he get? Like 30, 35 points per season. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it depends on how they if they change that up a little bit. And he is a very different player than anyone they have. He's he's very fast, uh, and he he's a pretty good playmaker. So uh, depends, you know. They have some guys up there like you know Oshi uh, is is pretty slow, but he he's you know got a great shot. So if they reconfigure it a little bit, which they might, you know, um, they had some success, but it hasn't gone so well since they won that cup. So maybe uh, I just think it's an, it's an, it's someone to keep your eye on, right? Like it's a possibility, but if more than likely, if he does make it, he'll probably be a third liner. Right. And then of the people that were drafted just in this past draft, so your Perfetti's Holtz, uh, Bo- uh, oh no, Bowen Byron was taken already a little while ago. But yeah, of these guys who haven't played in the NHL, I guess I should say, like, who's jumping out at you as like the what was the steal of the round? Well, uh, not to like toot my own horn, but I do have Lucas Raymond as the fourth best guy uh, from this year uh, in terms of like long term upside because I think this year. Um, like right now, I think Holtz is certainly more ready and he's a goal scorer, but Lucas Raymond, I think, uh, he's so raw still, and he's so young for this class that I think he has that pretty top end upside, um, you know, like, like Pedersen type upside. So I, I like that one. I mean, I took, I took him. So of course I like it, but I think he has pretty high upside. I, I love Holtz because, you know, he's a goal scorer and I think his situation is going to be really good. So I, I like that one too. Uh, that's pretty amazing value to get Holtz at 28th overall. That was a really nice uh, steal there. And Perfetti, um, you know, Perfetti went right before Raymond, which I was happy about because I preferred Raymond. Um, but Perfetti is going into a really good situation too in Winnipeg. Um, so I like that. And those are, those are the Winnipeg pig boys so uh they got they got their guy to cheer for him so that's nice victor not to be rude or anything and like i appreciate you tooting your own horn but i don't like i like the cole caulfield pick that that you mentioned uh, that that you had in the second round but i did i the lucas raymond pick seemed i guess in context seems good but i'm not after listening to the the scouting episode i'm not I'm not so sold on him being like this terribly high upside guy. Like maybe he seems like a good steady guy, someone you can rely on for, I don't know, 60 points, which I guess isn't that bad uh, an option. Elon, this may, this sort of goes with your John Marino philosophy. So, uh, so I, I guess like I would still be trying my own philosophy drafting here would be probably to, to try and still take these big swings and, and nail that like super high upside guy who actually does end up reaching it. But uh, the odds of 
actually successfully achieving that are slimmer than going for Lucas Raymond, a Lucas Raymond type who might have lower upside, but uh, be a surer thing. Plus, I like a lot about what Detroit's doing. And uh, so let's move on to round three without letting you, unless, Victor, you wanted to, to rebut what I, anything I just said. No, I'm happy with my pick, and we'll see how. We don't know, right? We don't know. <laughs> I'm so. just, I, I wish we had all the draft participants on so I could tell each of them why they made bad picks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I'm sure they're all listening. We'll t- I'm, I'm settling for you and Elon and poor Kevin. Okay, uh, round three. So let's go through. I'm just going to rhyme off the first 10. So there's 20 picks in a round. I'm going to rhyme off the first 10. We'll pause for reaction. Then I'll rhyme off the, the second half of round three. So let's start with the first half. We've got Mo Sider, Kyler Yamamoto, Eric Brandstrom, Alex Turcotte, Arthur Kaliev, Rasmus Sandin, Yusuf Almaki, Ty Smith, Jamie Drysdale, and Barrett Hayton. Uh, does that does that seem like an order that makes sense to to you, Victor? And then maybe Elon, you can share if if anything went out of order there in your mind. I mean, I think that the highest upside guys there for me, Kaliev. Uh, that's a steal in round three. Um, there's still question marks on him, but he he seems to have improved his two-way game and his scoring. His points upside is just huge. It's gaudy. If he can, especially him next to Byfield, oh, man, that's going to be sweet. Balamaki, I mentioned, I think has, uh, you know, great, like Bouchard, um, really high-end upside for a points uh power play running defenseman. So I really like that. And I do think Brandstrom is a really great pick. Uh, Yamamoto went to the, uh, went to the Edmonton fan. And so that, that makes sense. I don't think it was a huge reach, especially because like he's now, right. He's, he's contributing now and he's got a great situation there in Edmonton. So those are probably my favorite picks in that range. Uh, I do like Ty Smith, but he, uh, I just don't know if it's going to fully translate to the NHL level. So that's my only question there, but I, I think he has really great upside. Yeah. Well, Ty Smith on New Jersey, the one good thing he has going for him is doesn't seem like there's that much competition, like Damon Severson or whoever, like right. last year was Vatanen on the top power play. Like and now that PK Subban has shown that maybe that job is not for him, then that's like a wide open spot. And that's why he's like an exciting guy. But obviously he has to now show that he can handle it. Like Yamamoto is interesting to me just because I feel like Victor, like he's too old for you, right? He's 22. It's like, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't fit your team. Just like right. uh, Kaprizov. But so what do you think about his like 26 points in 27 games last year? Like he came in, then like McDavid got injured for a little bit and he was just like on fire. Like he and Dreisaitl and RNH had this amazing line and they went nuts. Obviously, if you believed that that was sustainable, then you'd think he should have been drafted in the first round, I'd imagine. Like, I'd imagine even that, even though he's 22, you'd be willing to overlook that if he was a point-per-game guy. But I'm guessing, my sense from, I guess, a lot of people in the draft since he fell to the third round is that we don't see him as actually a point-per-game guy. And maybe, you know, I guess, because to me, like, the one concern that I would have is, like, he didn't get on the top power play, like, in the playoffs. So, you know, what kind of upside can you really have if you're not going to be able to crack PP1? Yeah, I think... He's yeah, I, I agree with all that. I mean, it, when you look at his numbers, I mean, twenty five percent shooting percentage. His PDO was ten sixty two. I mean, that's absurd. His IPP was seventy. So there's there's clear red red flashing signs that he's going to regress. Um, I, I don't think he's going to regress so hard that he's uh, like not an impactful scorer, especially in that situation. He's he he showed I think enough that he clearly can play at this level, and he got a bit lucky. So you know, I think all of that together, um, he's certainly could still be a very valuable forward. I don't know why they did. I think uh, I'm sure 
they're, they're kicking themselves now that they didn't play those guys together because they were great in the regular season and, and I don't know why they didn't uh, and it really hurt them. But um, I like Yamamoto. I don't, I wouldn't, I, I would not have taken him in the first round, but I think here it's pretty decent value. Maybe, maybe you could have gone in the second. It's funny that like, because the Oilers don't kick themselves for weird decisions. Like they just make the same bad decision again. That's why they just re-signed Mike Smith, even though like he might be an even bigger reason why they didn't win that playoff round or play in round versus Chicago. All right. So next 10 picks to close out round three. Uh, so Barrett Hayton, by the way, okay, let me just, I got to ask really quickly, Barrett Hayton, is he good? Is he good? Like Arizona took the super high pick. They grabbed him ahead of like Zadina and like a few others that round. Oh, when Hughes, well, okay. (laughs) Everyone messed up with, uh, Quinn Hughes there, but like, uh, like is Barrett Hayton going to be like a good impact, like number one center on Arizona? Is he going to be worthwhile in fantasy? He's already fallen to the middle of round three in our under 82 games draft. Like, is this at least a good pick here? Or do you think even here it's like a reach for Barrett Hayton who was a fifth overall pick like three years ago? I would not have done that. Um, I, <laughs> so I, I don't hate it, but uh, I don't, he doesn't have the points upside that's going to be super huge. I mean, I think he's going to like, to me, he's kind of a poor man's Bo Horvat who certainly now, yes, is doing pretty well in fantasy, but how long did it take Horvat? You know, he's so Hayden's a pretty good two way center and he has a great opportunity, right? Because who's the number one center in Arizona? I mean, you know, is it, is it Dvorak? Is it, yeah. Keller? Keller? Like, who is it, right? It could be anyone. It could be any of those guys or it could be Hayden. And so that's a good opportunity for him. And and so that part's good. And he certainly has some decent line mates. But, I mean, I think offense goes to die in the desert, right? So I don't like that either for Hayden. Um, so yeah. I think there were probably better options. But he, I think he is a good player. He'll probably be one of those better in real life than fantasy. But he'll still have, like, fringe fantasy value. And um, especially in a face-off league, which this is. And if he gets tons of ice time, then um, he will certainly put up some decent counting stats and so he will have value so you're saying that you think there were better options why don't we go to the final portion of this episode where we all like kind of look at the later picks so uh, you know second half of round three and then like four and beyond who who are some people who you would say were like the the better options like brian is there someone jumping out to you as like someone that was picked like later than here that you're surprised they fell so far no i just want to make good on what that we said we were going to read off the rest of the third round so it was <laughs> hayton boldy noah dobson joel farabee owen tippett philip myers gabe velarde gregory denisenko ryan merkley drake batherson and dominic kubalik rounding out the 60th overall pick in the prospects draft. Uh, Elon, if you're asking me the question, I thought you did well with Francis at the start of round four, getting him 61st. That's a pretty good spot to get a goalie, especially when looking at the rest of the goalies that went like maybe Alex Nadelkovic, uh, the next round was a interesting shot to take, but I, I feel like Francis is probably one of the better bets remaining at that part of the prospects draft. And then, um, yeah, just flipping through. I mean, honestly, like, you know, my, my prospects acumen is not, you know, top of the, it's not, it's not where Victor's or, or Will Scouches is. So I'm interested to see, um, who Victor has as guys who have gone later in the draft, who he's liked as like as prospect sleepers for dynasty formats. Well, I think just for the end of this third round, Gregory Denisenko at 57 could be the best player in that round. He has really huge points upside uh, and he looks like he's coming to North America and he's going to play for Florida this year. So you asked about players that could contribute this season. Elon, that could be a sleeper. He, Denisenko 
and and Florida is cleaning out some some cap and some players, right? So he could get a pretty decent opportunity as early as this yeah. season. So I I love Denisenko there. Um, I like uh, Matthew Boldy as as a really high upside guy. He's a ways away, so that made sense for my team because he he's uh, got some development time. Uh, I really liked Ryan Merkley too. I mean, if you're going to take a swing take a swing on a guy like Ryan Merkley in this, in this spot, because the, the points upside is huge. Uh, I know some people question whether he'll even be an NHLer because he's had some issues, but he's, he's literally the, some people say he's the Sharks only prospect. So they're being very careful with him. They're being very patient with him. They're doing all the things that they can. And he seems like he's making great progress. So I think Merkley was a good, uh, good swing there for the end of the third. Okay, and yeah, I guess, yeah, like we said, we could talk forever. I, there's one name I got to throw at you, which is someone Matt and I took, not even the next few picks, like, I don't even know, it was like round eight or round nine, but like, I just started seeing tweets and just a little bit of buzz about this guy, and he might be, maybe like you're going to say he definitely doesn't fit your team, this might not be like a long-term like superstar, but in terms of like people who might step in next year and be a great late pick, a lot of people are calling this guy the next Dominic Kubalik, so I got to ask you about <laughs> Pius Suter who uh, led the Swiss League in points last year, and he is a property of the Chicago Blackhawks, right? He's going to be coming into Chicago just like Kubalik did, who played, I believe, in the same league and also did well. So, like, kind of coming out of nowhere, a 24-year-old. Uh, is, uh, do you have any thoughts on Pius Suter? Because I was, like, just searching Twitter. A lot of people are being like, watch out for this guy. He's going to come in. He's going to surprise people. And, like, he's a name I hadn't heard before. But all of a sudden, I'm seeing he led his league in points. And obviously, it's not a, the highest-end league, the uh, NL whatever that is, the National LA. League of, of Switzerland. But uh, who, who is, do you know anything about him? Yeah, I know a little bit about him. He, he definitely, yeah, he, he, he was close to what Kubalik did in the Swiss League, and which is not, um, not one of the best leagues, but it's certainly not chop liver either. It's a pro league, uh, one of the better ones in Europe, probably the third or fourth best one. So, you know, that was pretty decent. And he definitely... Um, there's a good chance that he could be decent. I think that what Kubalik did this season was pretty special and pretty unexpected. So the chance that it'll happen again on the same team seems to me a bit unlikely. Um, but uh, he also had, they have the perfect roadmap, right? I mean, this is a guy, they just did it. They, you know, they helped him transition his game. Um, and so, you know, from that perspective, they, they, and, and and Chicago is great at this, right? They find these players in Europe and they bring them over and they give them an opportunity to succeed. So um, I think, you know, stranger things could happen. Uh, I wouldn't expect him to be quite as good as Kubalik, but maybe, um, you know, a step or two behind. And, and certainly he looks like he's going to play. And so that's great, especially for the cap hit. So that's a good yeah, move. So- Anyways, maybe just like a deep, even in just a one-year league, a, just a name to know that he might come in and, hey, uh, Brandon Saad is gone from the Jonathan Taves line. So I, I don't know. So maybe he gets to play with Taves. I don't know. Uh, okay. So uh, I guess, though, that was pretty fun. There's like a bunch of names, uh, but also people could hear you talk about all these names and more on the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast that you're doing with Jesse Severe. So like every week, I, I also noticed that right now you're doing a, a whole run through of all the teams. So maybe, uh, uh, yeah, I want to thank you so much for coming on our show here. Maybe you could tell us about what you're doing on your other podcast and also about all of your articles. Yeah. Where can people hear more from Victor Nuno? Aside from in the Keeping Carlson Patron community where you're a great contributor. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having the space for us to all um 
connect. Yeah, we, uh, I write over at the Hockey Writers for the Sharks. Uh, I'm, I'm updating their prospect pyramid right now to include all the 2020 guys. And uh, we'll definitely be keep... I wrote, I wrote a write-up on uh, Donato, who I think was an interesting sign for them. Uh, and I podcast with uh, Jesse over at the Fantasy Hockey Life right now. We're going team by team and we're kind of breaking down everything that happened in the offseason and previewing what's going to happen. And we also uh, do a dynasty dig where we talk about all the impactful prospects. So that's been fun. We also did a, a mega episode on all the 2020 draftees and kind of gave our um, top 15 and the best and worst picks and, and talked a little bit about the value guys that we saw there. So that was pretty fun. So yeah, definitely come check that out and follow me on Twitter at Victor Nuno 12. Uh, love getting questions about fantasy and, and hockey in general. Yeah, definitely. Everyone should be checking out what Victor has to say. Like we've known Victor for a while in our patron community and like smart guy. I trust, even though you said some things that again, I'm going to say, Brian, you, you furrowed your brow a little bit. We were a little bit surprised at some things Victor said, but I, I really, I really respect the takes. And I like, I just wish we could find out now. Like I, I the thing is all these things are going to happen. Someone needs to hold us accountable. We need to come back. I'm going to set a reminder for myself to re-listen to this episode, like two years from now. So we can see like what was right and what was wrong after John Marino wins in Norris and like leads all defensemen in scoring. It'll be fun to come back. <laughs> yeah. And, and Cal Peterson to- wins the Vesna simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll be the Amazing. best year ever. Matt and I are going to be rich. Uh, but okay, before we close out the show we wanted to give a shout out to good friend of the podcast longtime patron pj richards who is like become you know a good friend of a lot of people in our community like a lot of people uh, have been playing nhl 21 or nhl 20 with him over the years nicknamed poopsie jones or jockstrap and uh pj actually has a big surgery coming up and we just want to wish him well like the surgery is like this coming week and we just want to let you know from the bottom of our hearts like pj we are rooting for you we can't wait for you to get on the road to recovery so we can uh, play some chell brian i've started playing chell by the way and i'm really excited to play with pj and also i just want to also give a shout out to our great community who have been really like you know showing a lot of support for him and doing like amazing things for him it's like, it's, it's been beautiful to see brian the patrons they bring they bring tears to my eyes <laughs> Yeah, for sure, PJ. We are sending all our best thoughts and vibes to you as are the rest of the patron community. So, uh, so know we're rooting for you and uh, we know you can do it. Oh, and also, Brian, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, we're booting this back up. Like, we've been talking with the patrons, coming up with some new suggestions for next season. I think by the time we record our next episode, we're going to be announcing that signups are open. So I just want to let everyone know that's listening. If you're listening to this podcast, you can join the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. Uh, very soon like it's i think the premier league in fantasy hockey like we've been doing it for years now we have a whole tiered system where you start at the bottom and you climb your way up to tier one and like our tier one right now is stacked going into next season i can't wait to see how it plays out and yeah it's uh open to any patron of keeping carlson so yeah i just want to you know we're getting a little taste here of what's to come brian you know that how i said that you start at the bottom you climb your way up we had a great suggestion by one of our patrons john that we're going to be implementing for next year normally you know you start in like tier five or six and it's like if you win your division you get to come up to like two tiers higher so it still is going to take you at least like three years to get to tier one we're gonna now since it's a points league for next year the person who gets the most points out of all of the cacuffle like last year was 16 different leagues throughout all the different divisions if you're in like a division of all brand new people like the very bottom and you get the most points over the whole season of everybody you're going right to tier one for next year you're getting fast tracked so it's going to be 
even more competitive because that means one less spot in tier one for the people who are there to hold their spot. Uh, but yeah, so it's going to be really exciting. And I just can't wait for the couple to start also, Brian. It's like, I think we've really like honed in and made this league like just perfect. I love our point scoring format. I love everything about it. I can't wait to play and I hope everyone will sign up next year. I hope it'll be like the biggest year ever. We're, we've got a lot of big plans for it. For sure. So keep an eye on uh, on our Twitter feeds and just keep listening to the show. We will definitely make it very clear to you when registration opens. And we hope you'll take part in Cupful Season 7, I think. Oh or is it oh. 6? Okay, we'll get that all ready for next time <laughs> when we announce that signups are open. And yeah obviously, like I said, uh, to join the couple, you need to be a patron of Keeping Carlson. And yeah, we've got other stuff we're doing for our patrons. We've got our patron community over on Facebook and Discord. We do our monthly patron cast. The last one was a lot of fun if you want to go back and check that out. And we've got more plans coming for next season. So keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you want to check all of that out. But with that, Brian, I think uh, we've done enough. Let's let these people go home. So let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Dauber Prospects, Frozen Tools, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Cap Friendly, and Elite Prospects. And I'll just say thanks again once more to our guest, Victor Nuno, who uh, will post all the links of where you can find him in the show notes. Yeah, thanks again, Victor. That was awesome. Thanks again, Brian. That was awesome. And thanks again to the chat room and everyone who joined us live. It was great to have you here. And thanks to everyone who's listening. So just, you know, Brian, I'm a thankful guy. Thanksgiving Canada passed, but I could still feel thankful all year round, which I am. And I'm also thankful that the NHL might be starting very soon. We're starting to couple up because we're getting into fantasy season before you may know. Like, October's almost over. If the season's going to start January 1st, that means we've got two months to start prepping and coming with projections and doing all of our plans for our fantasy drafts. Oh, my God. So excited. Okay. Well, Brian, <laughs> that's it for me. And I'm looking forward to talking to you on our next episode. Until then, remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone. Everyone. <laughs>